The Grow Kinder podcast features conversations with thought leaders in education, business, tech, and the arts, who all share one thing in common, a dedication to growing kinder in their work and lives, and helping others do the same. Brought to you by Committee for Children. Andrea, how are you today? I'm doing all right, Mia. I can't even remember what day it is still. So I'm (laughs) still dealing with the weird boundaries of time during work from home and that kind of thing. Yeah, but I'm doing all right. How about you? Good. Yeah. We've officially started summer. I don't know about you. I mean, it's hard to have like that transition when it feels like one day is the same as the next, but we decided to go ahead and call it summer. Yeah. Well, actually, my children have finished their school year, so we did have a kind of marking of that, which was really good. We kind of did a celebration for them that recognized that they were graduating just from kindergarten and preschool, but I think it was good for them to kind of mark the end. They've really been looking forward to starting summer. Yeah. I was thinking the other day how unusual (laughs) it is to have no activities for them in the summer outside of our family. And so we've been looking at ways to kind of engage them in some new activities and learning and keeping in mind safety around the pandemic and that kind of thing. So we're looking at those sorts of things, but already I'm thinking about back to school and the effects of this long sheltering at home and all of the the protests and the fight for racial justice and the trauma that kids are experiencing at home right now, probably not all kids, of course, but in some homes, there's definitely that. I've just been thinking a lot about youth mental health, which we talk a lot about anyway, in the return. And I don't know, it's just been on my mind. And so I thought maybe we could chat about it today. Yeah, I have an older child who's in his 20s. So although he's not, well, he is in school, actually, he's in law school, but he's not a school-aged person. But I do have a lot of friends who still have school-aged kids. And it seems across the board when I talk to them and when I talk to the folks as you and maybe some of our listeners know, I also produce another podcast for kids. And we do hear from a lot of parents about the kinds of things that they'd like to hear about in our podcast. It's also focused around social emotional learning topics. And there were so many requests for loneliness and friendships. And people are really worried about their kids not socializing right now and what that's going to mean for when they go back or if they don't go back, right? Yeah. I think that makes sense. (laughs) There's so many topics around mental wellness and there's a lot of chat about that with schools right now and and with parents. But I, I'm sort of thinking a huge question is how to address the anxiety and stress that everyone's kind of living under, not just children, but teachers, parents. But one of the things that you always hear, like just the mantra is seek help, ask for help. If you need help, just ask for it. You know, even all the lifelines, crisis lines, it's reach out and ask for help. And we were talking about earlier at Committee for Children that it's not always easy to ask for help, right? We say that like, take the first step and ask for help, but that's really hard to do. And so I thought we could talk more discreetly about that, given that we don't have a whole lot of time together 
Because if we say like, that's the first thing people need to be able to reach out and ask for help or ask for help to a trusted confidant or something. Like, why is that? Right. Why is that hard? (laughs) And is that the first thing? Yeah, it's hard in general. I think, though, there are things that we can start to do with children so that as they grow up, they are more comfortable help seeking. And and you probably know this, that our curriculum does have content around asking for help, advocating for yourself, and it breaks it down into some really discrete skills. And one of those is being assertive, you know, being able to ask for what you need or want. Some of those lessons have come out of even our own observations as educators. You know, we spend a lot of time in classrooms, those of us who've worked on curriculum. And I talk to a lot of teachers and you just see over and over again, kids from the very youngest ages, you know, kindergarten, first grade, not asking for help, not asking for what they need, you know, having a teacher hand out papers and they didn't get one. And a half an hour later, they say, I didn't get one. You know, And so it's something that you can start talking about and setting expectations around and building skills around when they're really little. Yeah. I want to tell you a story about this that was really influential for me in thinking about difficulties around asking for help. So my oldest child, when he started a daycare, he started in an infant room. And when they graduated him to a preschool room, he was too young to be in that room. He was the youngest child in that room. And I think he was 18 months, not even two, or maybe he was around two. In any case, there were a lot of older kids and it was a pretty chaotic room. And I found that when I was picking him up, he was desperately thirsty. Like he would just drink water the whole rest of the day. Like he was trying to, he was trying to fill up like a camel in the morning. And, and I realized he could ask for water, but he was really afraid to ask for water because he didn't know how in that environment. He asked for water in the infant room and he asked for water at home, but in this new environment, he didn't know how to ask in the way that he had before. And so he was just going without water, but was also clear that the adults were not asking him if he needed anything, right? Like they weren't recognizing because they had a lot going on in the classroom and he was just one kid but he was the youngest kid. And I realized like how I was going to have to talk to my children a lot and often about advocating for themselves and asking for what they need and give them some context for doing that in different environments so that they could apply it across circumstances. And I'll say I was never very effective at doing that with him when he was little. It's more so now, but even now it's really hard for him to ask for what he needs from an authority figure. Mm -hmm. I think it can be really, really hard for young kids to ask for something from adults that are not their family members. And I think some of it is personality. You know, some kids are just shy and some of it, you know, is probably on the adult end where, you know, maybe they just don't seem that open to it, to receiving it. But I think it's fairly common for kids to be intimidated by adults and or feel very removed from them. So they don't feel safe and they don't feel comfortable. But, you know, I think as you get older, as kids get more and toward their teens, 
they start getting really self-conscious so that then the asking for help is they start moving into that place where they feel that it makes them look stupid or incompetent. And then I think it just grows from there for, for adults, right? I think that that is a big reason why adults don't ask for help. They don't want to seem like they're weak or like they don't know what they're doing. Right. And so when you apply that to mental health, mental wellness, I think it's like, it's hard enough for, for children to ask for what they need. Like I need help with this math problem. (laughs) And when you layer onto that, identifying and asking for what you need around supports for mental health, that just sounds really daunting, probably is very daunting for a lot of kids and even more sort of stigmatized around this idea of weakness or that you're somehow not normal. Like you don't want to feel outside the norm, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that for kids, even teens, maybe more now that there's so much more information on mental health, but developmentally, a lot of kids and teens don't even know that that's what they need, right? I was thinking about that too, that actually the first thing is not asking for help. The first thing is having the awareness yeah. <laughs> that you need help. It's self-awareness. Yeah. And so that's right. you and I both watched a TED talk recently. We'll link to it in the descriptor, but from a, a young woman in Oregon, I think, who was talking about how we should treat mental health in the way we treat physical health and making sure that children or youth have the right knowledge of what supports mental health and how their brain works and (laughs) that kind of thing so that they can be aware when they need help. And then also then the skills to ask for that and the right kind of structures and supports in schools to get them what they need when they need it. Yeah, exactly. There's so much that goes into that, right? In terms of stress and anxiety, especially for teens, that is social, that is academic, that is family life, that is just the world around them. And now, of course, with social media, they have access to like not just their own personal issues, but like the issues of the world. And currently, the way things are set up it's really hard to know where to get help. And some schools have health centers, but I'm guessing that there's still, you know, some stigma around going to the wellness center at your high school. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I see, you've probably looked at this more, but for adolescents, there's this theme in some of the adult conversations that it's sort of cool or trendy to be depressed or so, you know, that there's this kind of group think about it. Like I think some adults have a stereotype of some of the teenagers that they interact with that they want to be sort of dramatic and overly focused on mental health. And what would you say to that? This idea that teens are manufacturing some of the crisis? Well, I don't have any data to Mm -hmm. support any thoughts about that other than when my own son was a teen, he was involved in a lot of theater and in sports as well. And I would say that with the kids that were in theater, there was a lot of that. There was a lot more talk about mental health and anxiety and a lot of 
talking about their issues. And I don't necessarily think that it's because they were trying to over-dramatize or anything. I just think that kids who are drawn to that sort of activity are more expressive. I think that that was kind of their support group, right? It is their support group to talk to each other. Whereas I think that if there are some groups of kids where maybe the overriding vibe of the group is more traditional masculinity and that we don't talk about our feelings and this sort of thing, that it just doesn't get talked about as much. So they just kind of keep it inside. Yeah. I was thinking we were talking about asking for help. If I were to break it down a bit, it's maybe first that self-awareness, that understanding your own emotions and your own needs. So recognizing that. And then there's this piece of like flipping. I think a lot of people, when they think about self-efficacy, they think about self-efficacy, like I can do the thing and I'm going to power through. And it can be read in a way that makes it very individualistic. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really knowing that you can do something or accomplish something or control this piece of your environment. And it doesn't necessarily mean alone, right? It's I can access the right strategies to get the support I need. And one of those strategies may be asking for help from another. And that kind of also lends itself to growth mindset, right? Like, I don't have to know all of it. And I don't necessarily have all the tools I need at my disposal right now. But I can problem solving and other kinds of strategies to come to a solution for myself that better supports what I need right now. And then I was also thinking about what adults can do to create the right kind of environment where asking for help is not stigmatized, you know, like modeling it. I think modeling asking for help is really one of the most important things both parents or educators could do, right? I have to tell you, Andrea, that my own mother is the queen of asking for help. (laughs) (laughs) She is literally a professional at it. And she does it in such a way that I don't even think people think, you know, it's not a burden on anyone. (laughs) She she does it in such a pleasant way that it kind of makes you feel good to help her. So I do think, at least for me, that I was raised, you know, around someone who constantly asks for help for things. And I don't actually have a lot of problem asking for help. Like there are so many things, especially around technology that... I just don't know. Like I'm not of that generation and I know some things, I know certainly know enough things, but when new things pop up, I often have to ask my son or my husband who is very tech savvy or a coworker or a friend. And it doesn't bother me at all because I figure, you know what, you can only know so many things. I think in some ways, you know, one of the things we've been talking about was like, does it get harder when you get older? And I think it actually gets easier. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that's good. I just have to think about your context versus mine because I don't think she'll listen to this. So I'll just say, if your mother is the queen of asking for help, my mother is the queen of needing help. (laughs) And, And so I felt very much like my role was to be a helper, not to be the person who got help. I created a kind of persona for myself as a child of being helpful, being needed, but not necessarily needing others, right? Uh, And so mm -hmm. as an adult, I definitely have done the work on myself to (laughs) 
change some of that dynamic. Not always. I'm not always successful at it. But I think if you find value in being the one who fixes things, and then you need help fixing something, that can be hard. And that's been kind of my experience. But what I think is relevant for people to take away from that is I often think about times when I was a child that I did ask for help and that I needed it pretty critically because I was the kind of kid that didn't want to ask for help ever if I could manage it. And I felt very independent and like I needed to do everything for myself. When I asked for help, I was kind of at a critical point. And so when you talk about temperaments and personalities, I think there's real value in thinking about those kids in your life that might not ask for help until it's almost too late, right? <laughs> like I didn't ask for help around support with homework until it was almost too late for me to pass that grade level or that kind of thing. And I think about it also in context of our work supporting kids who are reporting things like bullying and abuse. So when you're talking about asking for help around stress and anxiety, it could be low level, but it could be a mental health crisis. You don't really know until you're working with that child further. And so one of the things that I was thinking about in the context of this conversation is when I would ask for help and it was at this critical point, if I didn't get it, I sure as heck never asked again. You know what I mean? Because it was so hard. It took so much to get to that point that the effort of having asked didn't seem worth it if I didn't get any kind of positive result from it. And one of the things we tell kids in giving them safety rules is, what are you supposed to do, Mia, if the adult doesn't do anything? The first adult you tell doesn't do anything. What do you do? You ask someone else. You tell someone else, right? You ask somebody else for help. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's sort of like, are you setting up an environment and a relationship with kids where you're modeling it for them and your response to whatever help they ask for is very welcoming of that asking. Like, I'm really glad you asked for my help around this because I think one of the hard things too is, are you managing helping versus enabling, right? We talked about accommodating in a previous mm -hmm. episode and being overly accommodating isn't always helpful in situations of anxiety or whatever. But are you recognizing that it's good that they're asking for help and giving them the right kind of language to ask for help? And then also some of the rules like we teach in our programs around safety, if you're telling a grown-up at school or something that you need help and you're not getting it, you need to tell another grown-up. You need to keep telling until somebody does something. And if you're that trusted adult, you know, one thing I tell my kids is you can always tell me. It doesn't matter if I'm not a person in charge in that room or in that building or whatever. If you're telling people that you need help and you're not getting it, you can always tell me and I will do something to make sure you get help. Right. So that's my, I've got, I've got on my soapbox here. I was just thinking a lot about, I was being very self-reflective this week, I think. <laughs> well, do you think, and like when you think about that, you know, thinking of yourself still as, you know, knowing you, I've known you for many years now, I could see that how you would get value, as you said, out of thinking about being the helper. Do you think it's hard to model that for your kids? Can you think of a time where 
you've tried to get some help with something and someone said no and you just kept at it? Oh, that's a good question. I think at work, there are more of those times than there are in my personal life. Yeah. It's not because people don't want to help. It's often that they have other competing priorities or maybe you just haven't been clear in what you're asking for. But I definitely have gone to, for instance, our boss and said, I just really need help with this thing. And maybe not gotten it the first time, (laughs) not through any uh, intention of not helping me, but because other things compete and maybe, you know, they thought that I got what I needed out of one conversation or something. And so I would say in my work life, I'm quite persistent in going back if I need help. I still want to be the fixer. I still don't want to, you know, I still have some of those things. But if I've asked, if I've gotten to a point where I've asked for help, I'm not going to stop asking for help (laughs) at work. Right. And so in my personal life, can I apply that in front of my kids? I think what I talk a lot about helping with my children, like one of my problems is I feel like because I naturally fall into a fixer or helper category, I do things for them they can do for themselves that they should be doing for themselves. So I have to constantly check myself around that. And sometimes their response when I ask them to do something for themselves is, you never help me, or I always have to do that. <laughs> and then and then I tend to go through a laundry list of the ways that I help and support our family. But what I've been thinking about in this conversation is what I probably can do is, again, it's whatever that metacognition, right? Is like, can I pull back and say, here was a circumstance where I wasn't able to do a thing I normally do for you and I needed your help. And I asked you for that help. And I want you to know that when I ask you for your help, it's really necessary, like to support our family or to help out in our family. And that we always want to talk to each other if we think we need help around anything. I don't know, maybe there's a conversation moment there. I feel like when I have conversations about helping with them, it's often about how they're supposed to be helping me versus them asking for help other than the safety conversations. So I probably need to extend some of that. And just when they ask for something again, say, I'm really glad you asked me for help when you needed it. That's a great strategy to use if you can't do something yet. What's another thing you could do in the circumstance to get what you need without necessarily asking me for help? Because a lot of the things they ask for help with, they can totally do. And they're just trying to get out of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've talked forever about this. Maybe I'm I'm kind of in the thick of it right now. I remember one big learning lesson for my son around persistence in trying to get help was when he was young, we lived in a house that was set up high from the street as all our neighbor's houses were. And there were underground springs in the neighborhood. And for some reason, at some point in the past, one of the houses yards had the city had put in some kind of drain where the groundwater just drained out into the street and it would drain down into the sewer grate, but it wasn't near it so that the groundwater would go out into the street and kind of form this puddle. And it was right in front of my house. And in the summer it would get buggy and gross and things from the trees would drop in it. And it was like a little marsh And in the winter, it would freeze and be like, you know, dangerous. And so I started calling the city to come and do something about this. And it took me two years. And he saw me 
day after day on the phone calling for help. Like, I need someone to come and fix this problem. I need, I cannot fix this problem. I need you to help me. And I just persisted until they fixed it. And then they fixed it wrong. And then I had to persist again (laughs) until they fixed it right. And it was actually something that I used to kind of refer back to when he would say to me like, oh, I tried to get that thing done, but I couldn't. I'm like, how hard did you really try? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, or like, how hard, how hard did you keep asking for help on that? Yeah. So it's always good to have, you know, a thing like that, that you can refer back to. I think, you know, when we're talking about schools coming back into session in whatever form that takes in the fall, there are some ways that they're kind of trying to build in particular skills around resiliency and um, perseverance and just sort of helping kids um, manage through, right? And some schools, in particular in Oregon, where we're talking about the kid who did the TED Talk, some schools are considering mental health days that you can take like, like a sick day where kids just get a break to focus on themselves, that they can take time to focus on their own mental well-being in some way or another. Yeah. And I was, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm like, there's this interesting push pull that we have around, we want them to be resilient and have self-efficacy. And that can have this tone of make it through, you can do it, just push through, you have to set hard goals, you have to achieve those goals, right. And then there's this other piece of, like, sometimes you're just not okay. And you need to take the time to figure out what's going to help you be mentally and physically healthy, right. So what are your thoughts on that, that approach or other approaches? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Although, I think you want to do that with a lot of support around things that are helpful. Because I can guarantee you that if there were mental health days and kids just needed to take a day off and they might legitimately need to take a day off, right? Like they're just super stressed out. I know that in many schools, there is not a lot of coordination, especially once you get up into the middle school and high high school grades around when things are due. And so like, I just remember times when in high school, my son would have like all of his classes had a huge paper due on the same day or something. Like they just couldn't quite get it figured out, which is super stressful for them. And I'm sure he would have liked to have taken a mental health day just to avoid thinking about it. And he would have played video games. I can see what you're saying. I I think I said on a previous episode that actually (laughs) it's funny, this term mental health days, because when I was a kid, it was not a thing, but actually my mother tried to do mental health days with us and more, more with my sisters who are quite a bit younger than me, but she felt like it was really important that you took time when you were not mentally prepared or when you were, if there was a family crisis or whatever was happening, that you should take time and that school wasn't necessarily the most important thing over your own well-being. And I think in theory, that was good. I didn't take her up on it a lot because I often felt like it was more for her, <laughs> her own well-being. But she was okay with me saying, like, I just can't do this or I can't go. But I was really self-motivated and didn't miss a lot of days in my later, you know, like basically from all of high school, I didn't miss a day. But she would sort of keep my sisters out when they needed time. And I'm not sure how structured any of that was or if it actually addressed the problem. It at least said to them, you need to take time for this. You know, this is important. 
But I don't think that what they did on those days actually addressed some of the things that were causing their anxiety. So I think that's a really good call out. Well, I know our time is coming to a close, but I think that we've dug into a few things that are hopefully helpful for people. At least it's I, it's been helpful for me to have this conversation <laughs> because I'm thinking a lot about it right now. What are you doing that's kind this week? How are you staying kind this week? I am trying to be kind to myself this week. <laughs> I have put some boundaries in place that I hope to maintain for a little while around, you know, when I'm actually stopping work, like actually taking real lunch breaks with my kids and some of those things. So I'm trying to let myself watch a show, a TV show or something if I want to. I'm trying to just do a little more of that because I feel like I've been very heads down. So it's a little more self-care and boundary setting this week. It's my brand of kindness for the week. We'll see how it goes. Again, oh, that's good. helpful <laughs> to yeah, everybody. So- Self-kindness is super important. That's good. Well, I guess maybe I will go ahead and say that I'm living on a boat now and that's a new thing for us. And my husband has to spend a lot of time working on the boat. Boats are not like houses or cars. They constantly need work and fixing and driving and all kinds of things. And I don't know how to do those things. And so I as we're just, you know, starting this new adventure while I am working from the boat, but I'm also trying to figure out how I can help him. So if I can't do electronics and I can't do some of the other things that require a lot of strength, I can cook the meals, you know, and I can clean up after those and I can swap the decks as it were, which I actually <laughs> did swap the deck the other day. Ooh, and, that's a real thing. Swap the yeah. Decks. Yeah. So, well, I squeegeed it just, trying to help him in the ways that I can. And don't forget to ask for help yourself, right? <laughs> that's exactly. that's what we're... <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, it's been great talking to you. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a good week, Andrea. You too. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can find more episodes at growkinderpodcast.org and make sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher.